Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us uniquely to follow after you. We pray that we would recognize our gifts and use them to your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. When I was a child, I heard this story about a kid who was walking down the street, and he saw in the window of a shop this beautiful toy horse, like a rocking horse type horse, and it was painted just really elegantly. And he fell in love with the horse, and he so desperately wanted it. And he's like, Mom, Mom, will you buy me the horse? And she said, no, that seems rather frivolous, but I suppose if you save up for it, you can buy it. So he, you know, he collected the cans, and he did extra chores, and he did all the things that you do as a child to earn extra money until he could buy the horse. And he bought it, and he brought it home, and he jumped on it, and it fell apart. Because the horse inside was made of sawdust and glue and wasn't really meant to be ridden like a normal rocking horse. This morning, we continue on in exploring St. Peter's letter to the church in Asia Minor. And we get to a part that perhaps is a little uncomfortable for our modern ears because he talks about what it is for the church to have husbands and wives, or rather what it is for the husbands and wives in the church, and we always kind of have to think through that, and I'll have a couple caveats after I read it to you. But he writes, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word of God, they may be won out with a word, won without a word, by the conduct of their pure wives. When they see your respectful and respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning and external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be hidden, the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, for this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting themselves to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham's calling him Lord, and you are her children, and if you are your, her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women of weaker vessel, the, as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Sometimes we get to points in scripture and some of us are kind of fine and comfortable with it and other of us are like, that seems different. And I want to encourage you, whatever that passage is, whether it has to do with how male and female relates or some of the things in the, in, in the Old Testament that kind of make us feel a little bit icky, to sort of slow down and ask what, what God is really doing in these passages. Uh, a long time ago, I used to kind of want to dismiss those passages and be like, no, no, let's not talk and think and pray through those passages. Um, but by the grace of God, I, I, I found a, a better place of working our way through it. The second part of my disclaimer is I've heard a lot of very bad explanations as to what's going on in here. 
And I really have prayed all week that I would not give such a bad explanation, but try and wrestle with you through how we behave as men and women in the church to the glory of God. So if I do sort of uh, stumble my way through and I say something and you are confused or baffled or I inadvertently say something that upsets you, please first of all forgive me. And then second of all, please tell me so we can kind of wrestle that out together. But in order to really understand what St. Peter is getting at, we have to rewind a very long way. We have to rewind back to the very beginning the beginning of the world when God created it. And if you remember, there were six days of creation and on the seventh day he rested. And after each day, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. Six times, until the sixth time, when he creates man and woman and he says, it is very good. And then we get to the second chapter of Genesis and something happens and this kind of confuses some modern scholars because they're like, well, why are there two creation accounts? There aren't, but there's a closer look at the creation of humanity in the second creation account. And, and we hear in that, in that second part of that story, the words not good for the first time. And it's because Adam is alone in the garden and Adam's just kind of standing there and I kind of picture him like, well, okay, what's going on? This is a little lonely, but hey, there's a cool creature there. Thank you for the couple laughs. Um, and, and so he's alone, and God says it's not good. And so he's like, all right, well, I've made all these really cool creatures, and I've given them life. Maybe one of those will be a good friend, and they, he has them walk in front of Adam. There's a cool point where he names them, but that's not really the point of the sermon, but that's really cool, and, and think about why that's really profound. But, but the animals walk in front of him, and he names them, but, but still none of these animals are suitable for Adam. And so God's like, well, I'm going to knock you out and I'm going to create a woman. I'm going to create somebody to compliment you and work with you and encourage you and run alongside of you. And Adam wakes up and he sees the woman and he goes, oh, this is the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so we see the first couple live in one flesh, which basically means they work together perfectly. I've been married six months. Is that about right? We don't work together perfectly. We work together really well, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and I'm exceptionally thankful for my wife, but we don't work together perfectly. But the design of marriage was a perfect union between a man and a woman. They were designed to complement each other. And so, if you aren't familiar with the first three chapters of Genesis 1, go home and read it many times. <laughs> Get to know the first three chapters of Genesis well, because a lot happens in it. But second, something happens, obviously, because we know that the world is not perfect. It is not always good, though there is still goodness in it. And that we know something has happened that is amiss. Chapter 3 starts to give us a hint. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And the serpent enters into the garden 
And this should be our first red flag in, the, in chapter 3. The serpent, the crafty serpent, should not be in the garden. There's something evil going on here. And Adam, who knew the covenant, Adam, who was given the covenant between himself and God, should have immediately said, serpent, out of the garden. Because that was his job, to care for the garden. And he doesn't. And then the serpent goes up to Eve, and he, he, he tricks her, and he says, you know, God just doesn't want you to eat that fruit because he's gonna, because he knows that when you do, you'll be just like him. And Eve is kind of intrigued by this, and Adam is kind of intrigued by this because we know that when she does eat the fruit, he, she immediately hands it to Adam, and Adam then eats the fruit as well. And so Adam had to have been standing right there, just, again, probably doing his, like, thing, I don't know what was going on with Adam, but, but Adam seemed to do that now and again. And she eats the fruit, and Eve eats the, Eve eats the fruit, and Adam eats the fruit, and they realize who they are. Their eyes are open to something that it wasn't necessary for them to be open to. And God comes and tells them the ramifications of what has happened. And the point that's really important is the second part of the curse which he gives to the woman he says, your desire shall be for or against is perhaps a better way to say that. Your husband, and he shall rule over you. No longer after the fall do we have that perfect unity. Sin has corrupted our unity, even with the ones that we're most close to. And so when we get to Peter this morning, he's telling us what it looks like to have that slowly restored, slowly brought back together. And I think one of the things we have to understand as we read this, it's kind of clear that Adam isn't, or Adam, sorry, Peter isn't talking to just all the women, but it seems like in the early church, at least in Asia Minor, there were a lot of women who came to know Christ before their husbands did. And so he's trying to tell them, you know, if you, you know, your call is to witness to your husband. Your call is to show him the love and grace which Christ has shown you. My, um, a good friend of mine when I was still dating, and I didn't date any non-Christians. I want to say that as a preface so there's no questions. But, because sometimes there are. But he's like, you know, it's, it was lonely at times. And he's like, you know, if you date, a non-Christian, I will burn both of your apartments down. I, I think he was a joking, but I never bothered to find out. <laughs> but he had seen, he was in youth ministry for a long time, and he had seen so many young Christian men get tired of trying to find a wife in the church that so they went outside of the church, and it was just disastrous for their faith. And it kind of seems like women do a little bit better when they come to Christ and their husbands don't. But it's still the call to be the witness to their spouse, whether they are Christian or not. And it seems like that's kind of the case here. <clears throat> and we kind of end up stumbling across this phase, phrase, rather, be subject. And we get lost, and, and that's the, the phrase that I've heard so many bad exegetical responses to. And I, I was thinking this morning as I was getting ready, and it, it was in reference to this type of thing, where a pastor who was really lovely to me, and so I don't want to say anything too, too bad about him, but was like, you know, the man should do all the finances in the house. 
I'm not good, he said, this is him, I'm not good at keeping books, so, but I've learned so that my wife doesn't, even though she's good at it. And that's not the point. The Lord has brought you together with somebody who compliments you. So if you're really good at, if your wife is really good at finances and you're not, that's excellent. Celebrate that. Don't, don't try and wander away from that for some sort of weird misunderstanding. And that, that's a very mundane version of, of what we're talking about here. But really, the call that we're getting at is that there's, there's a goodness in knowing, there's a goodness in, in having the goal to glorify God in your marriage and to love your husband well, whoever they are. As Christians, we don't have that chance, that, that no, what is it, no-fault divorce within Christianity. There's, there's just a few cases where divorce is acceptable within the church. So if you're not, have you not been abandoned or abused or that your, your spouse has had an affair, it's time to figure out why there seems to be some sort of misclick between a husband and a wife and fix that. Ultimately, the goal is to honor one another. St. Peter goes on to say that the wife is to be respectful and pure towards their husband. In other words, attending to their heart. And one of the things that's, that's been discouraging in our culture for me is I think, you know, we, we got married later in life and it, it's been a wonderful and exciting thing. And I've always longed for that in my life. But you watch, like, especially um, TV shows or something, and, and the women get together and they're like, oh, well, my husband is just so dumb and stupid, blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. I don't think any of you do, but if that's something that you struggle with, that's worthy of repentance. Don't go behind your husband's back and bash them. That's basically what Peter's saying. Just respect and love and honor your husband. Show them the respect that is due. <clears throat> and we get to that as well for the, the man in, the, in just a moment. And he goes on, and it, it's, it's that the wife is to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And by growing in the fruit of the Spirit, it shows what Christ is doing in you. And I think we often forget that in, in, in the church, that you know, we want to stand up for ourselves and be like, I am strong and mighty. And, and men and women struggle with this, I've seen. But when we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, it shows something different. And so especially in that case where the husband isn't a Christian, especially in the case where they don't know Christ, that marked difference of what the Spirit does in the life of the believer kind of gives pause and makes us think, wow, that's really beautiful. And ultimately, that's what he's getting at and what our call is and why I started with that story about the little horse that fell apart is, you know, we can make ourselves look really good. We can put on what he talked about, gold and braid our hair and, you know, whatever the modern Western American version of that is. And we can, we can show that we look really good. But if our heart's corrupt, if we're not letting the Holy Spirit attend to our heart and meld us into a Christ-likeness, then we miss the entire point of what Christ is doing for us now. <clears throat> he ends with something really interesting for the women. 
And I, I think we come sometimes, some of the, the, the commentaries that I read sort of glazed over this when I was reading about them. But he says, if you do good and do not, free, do not fear anything, therefore you become a daughter of Sarah. That's a really interesting promise, right? At least I think it is. Do good. In other words, follow Christ. Walk on the good way, the beautiful way that we talked about. And do not fear anything that is frightening. The world is a frightening place. I mean, turn on the news. It's scary. But if we dwell in Christ, and if we learn really what that means, we learn that there is nothing to fear. There is nothing that we need to fear in this world. And so St. Peter invites the wives that could be scared of the world out there to dwell in Christ and do not fear anything. And that's just good advice for all Christians. But then he turns to the husbands and says, honor your wives. And I think that's one of the things that's troubled me more is sort of the, the denigration that women face from men in our culture. And sometimes I see this even in the church where they're, they're brought lower than they really ought to be. But rather they should be raised and honored. And I was thinking about this in the Orthodox church. They do a really cool thing where when you're married, they, they actually crown you. And so you become the, the king and queen of your house. Your wife husbands is the queen of your house and she deserves the utmost honor that you can give her so think about that and pray about how you can honor your wives and then he gets to that sort of awkward phrase that probably some of you cringed at which is the weaker vessel part yep all right <laughs> but this primarily refers to the physical aspects and the physical realities of men are just bigger. I think I'm twice your size about, yeah. Uh, so th there's, a, there's a very real reality, but then in that culture, we have to also remember that, you know, in, in America, we all can go out and vote. We all have relatively the same rights and all of that. But in that culture, women had virtually no rights and they needed protection. And so it's a reminder of that reality to stand and, and just be a decent human being. Don't, don't stand for when you see your wife or your sister in Christ denigrated, but stand up for her and honor her. <clears throat> it's also kind of interesting to note, you know, you get this long passage, which basically is, you know, if your husband isn't a Christian, how you witness to them. But it doesn't ever say that about the men. And I think maybe what's going on here, and this is just a wild speculation, but that all the men in the church in Asia Minor's wives, all the ones that were married at least, were all Christian. And that kind of is interesting to see how that plays out. And I, I want to just throw a little challenge out, and who knows, maybe people will get annoyed with me, but we've, we've powered through this so far. Um, when you see men get involved almost in the church, almost always the wives follow, and then the children follow. But that doesn't play out. Like if children get involved in the church without their parents, their parents almost never follow. They're just like, sweet, free babysitting for an hour. Or 
you know, the wives get involved and they bring their kids, but the husbands don't always come. So I just want to kind of throw that out there as a challenge to the men in the church, that if you aren't really involved in the church yet, get involved in the church and see what fruit that builds for you and your spouse. And now we turn to what Jesus is doing in the future. Full restoration, which we're looking forward to. I I have two friends, and they're on staff at a church, which I will... Neither mention their names nor say which one, but um, they're, they're lovely people and I'm not really making fun of them. But one of them got up one Sunday and they've been working through the Gospel of Matthew and was talking about that awkward passage where Matthew is like, well, there'll be no marriage in heaven because you'll all be like angels. And he's like, well, I don't think that there'll be sex in heaven. Wow, that didn't get any sort of awkward response. <laughs> And of course, this has meant that our, my, our other friend and I have, have given him a hard time about that because we're mature adult people. <clears throat> but he does bring up an important point that each and every one of us who are in Christ, male or female, no matter what race, are co-heirs in the kingdom of heaven. Our recreation, our baptism into Christ gives us access to God. And this brings up a really interesting point. In the Old Covenant, circumcision was signs of that covenant, right? And if you know anything about circumcision, it's impossible to circumcise a woman. But the New Covenant's mark was baptism, which each and every person can participate in. Each and every person, male or female, can be brought into the church of Christ. And he's reminding the husbands of that. These are your sisters. They've been brought into the church. They are full members, just like you and I are. And that's the amazing thing of the new covenant. Because one day all will bow down before Christ. One day all will recognize him. You will still be fully who you are in eternity, but without all that junk that keeps you separated from one another. So that 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 weird sort of attempt to be one flesh, then you become truly one flesh, whatever that truly means in eternity. As you all know, I I spent a fair amount of time single and ministering in the church. And there's lots of weird things that are said to singles in the church, and I won't, won't bear you down with any of that. But part of the beauty of the church is it not only helps us to reform, to draw closer to one another, as we draw closer to Christ, learn how to love one another better, but it gives the, those, all people, a place whether you're single and never married, whether you're a divorcee and trying to wrestle through what that means for you, whether you're married happily or unhappily, whether you are a widow or widower, it's a home and a support network to draw you closer to other people, to help you become sanctified and draw you closer to Christ. St. Peter ends with a really important point, that your prayers may not be hindered. 
If we spend our time discontented in our marriage, not learning how to love one another well, if we spend our time discontented in the whatever point in life we're in, we're going to spend our time grumbling. But instead, he invites men and women to love each other well, to live in God's love, to live in the peace that our focus would be on Christ. And so that's the invitation today. Will you prayerfully learn to love one another well? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said it is more blessed to give than to receive.